This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. He'd write me paragraphs about vile things he would do, going into depth about locking me down and skinning me, feeding me my own flesh. We were woken by his screams and his frantic cries of, Help! coming from inside his tent. As we're all finishing our test, we hear multiple kids running down the hall, screaming, It's a lockdown. It's a lockdown. Lock it down. Hide. Run. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you three true, horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will frighten and disturb. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We're back after a short two-week hiatus while I was getting settled into my new place. And now, it's full throttle ahead with the terror. And at the top of the show, I wanted to remind everyone that our hotline is available 24-7 to get your true story submission in for the show. Simply visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com and record straight from your mobile device. We open the show with a submission from John, featured in the book Everybody's Got a Story to Tell by Nick Fisher, featuring voice work by John Patnode, and we learn why to zip up your tent at night. I was in the army nearly all my life, and I've witnessed things that'll stick in my mind until the day I die. I've served in Iraq and Afghanistan, where I saw some fairly gruesome sights, including the aftermath of suicide bombers and car bombs being detonated, which left dead bodies and body parts strewn across the street. And I've seen good friends get shot and killed right in front of me. And as horrific and gruesome as these images were, and still are whenever they come into my mind. There's one image above all others that even though it wasn't as horrific or gruesome as some of the things I've seen, it sticks in my mind more than anything else. Although, as I'm sure you'll agree after you've heard it, it must have been extremely horrific at the time for the person involved. We were on a training exercise in the jungle in Southeast Asia, And although there was no human threat in the form of enemies or terrorists, there was a threat from the various species of animals and creatures that inhabited the jungle, one of which was the threat of snakes, and some of which were highly venomous. Just one bite from a couple of snakes in particular that were known to inhabit the area of the jungle we were in could have resulted in death within minutes. Needless to say... We tread very carefully when we were walking through the jungle. During the day, the heat and humidity in the jungle was unbearable at times. It really was. And it could be equally unbearable at night when you were lying in your tent in your sleeping bag trying to get to sleep. 
Some of the guys didn't bother using their sleeping bags because it was just too hot. But others, like me, did. Because even though the chances of a snake slithering into your tent at night were slim due to the way the tents were designed to prevent things crawling in, it was still in the back of your mind that one just might find its way in. So, better safe than sorry, I always slept in my sleeping bag. However, one of the guys in our unit who didn't use his sleeping bag was Brian. And one night, whilst we were sleeping, we were woken by his screams and his frantic cries of HELP coming from inside his tent. So, like everyone else, I immediately got up and ran over to his tent, and when we ripped his tent open, I couldn't quite believe my eyes at what I saw. We could see Brian in the top half of his body, and we could see his left leg, but we couldn't see his right leg. And that's because it was inside the mouth of an 18-foot python, which had swallowed it right up to his groin. The look on Brian's face was one of sheer terror. As it would be if you woke up to find yourself being swallowed by a python, and he was screaming, Get it off me! Get it off me! The tent was about 7 feet long, and there was at least another 12 feet of the python trailing out of the tent. Someone shouted to get a machete. Fortunately, there was one in Brian's tent, as we'd been using them to cut through the jungle in our treks. So we told Brian to stretch his left leg out, so that we roughly knew where his right foot was inside the python, and we added on another couple of feet so that we didn't cut his right foot off. And then, we chopped the python in half. As the machete went through it, Brian shouted out in pain, and at first we thought we'd somehow chopped through his foot as well, but then realized that the python, in reaction to the shock of it being hit with a machete, had sunk its teeth into Brian's thigh. Though I think Brian was in a much greater state of shock than the snake. We then cut the python open and got Brian's leg out, much to his relief. How the snake got in was a bit of a mystery, as Brian said he was sure that he'd secured his tent as you're supposed to do when camping in the jungle. But somehow, the snake got in. It's no wonder he had a look of sheer terror on his face when we ripped his tent open. He was very lucky on two counts, really, in that A, it wasn't one of the highly venomous snakes that we were warned about that had slithered into his tent and bit his leg, because he most certainly would have died, and B, not only was it fortunate that pythons themselves aren't venomous, because of what happened when we chopped through it, it was also fortunate that it only swallowed one of his legs, because when it got to the groin, it couldn't go any further. If it had swallowed both of his legs, he may not have been so lucky, as it could have easily swallowed all of him. Alive. Something which has happened to quite a few of the locals in places like Southeast Asia and India. As you might have guessed, Brian slept in his sleeping bag every night for the rest of the expedition. He also checked, and then double-checked, that his tent was properly secured before he bedded down for the night. You're listening to Disturbed from Disturbed Media. Next up, we have a listener voicemail from Derek, and he recounts a terrifying incident at his school. Hello, 
My name is Derek. I am 14 years old, and this actually just happened today. About eight hours ago, there was a shooting in Glenpool, Oklahoma, or a threat. Um, we all went in lockdown. Uh, this was in second hour of the day, and no one was expecting anything. Keep in mind, this is just in state testing, too. If you don't know what state testing is, it is a government test on students for the growth of the school to depend on what the funding of the school is, but that doesn't matter. As we're all finishing our test, we hear multiple kids running down the hall, screaming, it's a lockdown, it's a lockdown, lock it down, hide, run. And I'm just sitting here, I don't even know what to think. And then the teacher just turned off the lights and told us to shut our mouths and I was speechless. Is this really happening? Is this really gonna happen? Kids started crying in the back of the classroom. We heard cops screaming, code red, code red. Eventually, when they passed, we heard beating on every door. Not sure if it was the cops on the one beside us, but on ours, they were screaming, open up, open up, open up. Repeatedly getting louder and louder. I didn't know what to do. My friend Roderick beside me, which was also in the class with me, and my friend Brexton. My friend Brexton um, pulled out a pocket knife, and my friend Roderick just sat there and started crying. I was speechless. I had no idea what, was, what, what I had to do, what I was going to do. And eventually, the beating stopped about five minutes later, and over the intercom, the principal of the school, we'll call him Mr. Bell for the story, said District 1 is clear over the intercom. District 1 is where I was supposed to be at the time. For context, that's the ISP room. Not too long ago, I did some things that I'm not going to get into detail about, and I was an ISP, ISS, whatever you want to call it. And honestly, I didn't know what was going through my mind, and eventually the culprit was caught. Multiple people were cited. There were four simultaneous threats in the middle school, high school, and intermediate. That was honestly one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And that's that's my story. Also disturbed you do um, amazing amazing work keep up with the good work i love the stories i binge every night thank you bye my name is bill huffman and i am a former cleveland news producer and i am now the host of the podcast who killed I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, 
we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookyScienceSisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you, and stay spooky. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Want to listen to Disturbed ad-free? Of course you do. Go to disturbedpodcast.com slash support to get your access today. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Stephen Everall, featuring voice work by Stephen Brink. And the more we think about it, the more terrifying it is. My mom was born and raised in the high country of East Central Montana. She came from ranching people and her father, my grandfather, was a genuine cowboy. She often did work around the ranch with him, so not much shakes her to her soul. Except for what happened when she had to run into town when I was only eight months old. The ranch she was raised in was almost two hours away from the nearest town. You had to drive north on a highway for 30 minutes, then you had to drive on a dirt road for another 45 minutes across the Montana high country to get to the ranch where she was raised. I'm emphasizing this because it not only shows how far out into nowhere she lived at the time, but it plays into why this story becomes so disturbing. My mom had to run into town to get groceries and baby supplies for me. She was driving in the long and isolated dirt road back to the ranch when she reaches into her purse on the passenger seat to get something. It slips out of her hand and into the passenger footwell. Fair enough. She then has to stop the car so she can safely retrieve what she dropped. She grabs it and as soon as she sits back up, she looks into the rearview mirror and sees a man about a hundred feet behind the car running at her. Needless to say, she puts the car back into gear and gets the hell out of there. As she's looking back at me in the car seat, making sure that I'm okay, she sees the guy give up running after her and run back to the ditch to hide. Of course, when she gets home, she tells her mom and dad, my grandparents, about what happened, and they're stunned. Here's where it gets disturbing, at least psychologically. My mom didn't see any cars or trucks parked along the dirt road for the entire way to the ranch. She also didn't see any people walking along the highway or the dirt road, which raises even more questions. How did he get there? Why was he out there? And even more disturbing, what would he have done to my mom or an eight-month-old baby? The more I thought about it, 
the more disturbing it became. That's what my mom said anyway. I've only asked my mom about this story twice. After the second time, she tells me to never ask her about it again. And I completely understand why. I get messed up thinking about it. I can only imagine how she felt having directly experienced it. I just needed to address some things as well. First, this occurred way out in the middle of nowhere out in the Montana hive country. It's wide, open, and flat grassland with rolling hills. The only traces of human activity you'll find out there are fence posts and maybe a windmill or an old abandoned barn or house. I'm emphasizing this because there were some people saying that my mom should have just called the police. And to that I say, what police? There are police in the small town where she got her groceries, but out in the Montana high country, good luck. This is the main reason why people who live out there carry firearms. If something happens out there, you might have to deal with it in the moment. I'll let you read into that connotation what you will. Second, some people were pointing out that this is an interesting coincidence that my mom happened to stop her car near where the guy was hiding. Again, coincidences happen and weird things happen out in the middle of nowhere. Who knows why that guy was out there? Rural Montana is not a place where you go to casually hang out. Unless you actually live out there, know someone who lives out there, or have some business with someone, you shouldn't be going out there for any reason. On top of how she didn't see anyone walking on the highway or the dirt road, and didn't see any vehicles parked along the side of the road. Any person who made it out that far on foot for some reason is not someone anyone should be interacting with. My mom was a petite 19-year-old woman with her 8-month-old infant in the back seat when this happened. I highly doubt she could have been any help to him. We will never know why this guy was out there, and frankly, I don't think we ever want to. I'm Tanya Eby, and this is Disturbed. And finally, we close out the show with an anonymous listener submission featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we learn a valuable lesson. I've decided to remain anonymous for this story, as I don't want it to dredge up the past. However, listening to a previous story on this podcast had given me a blast to the past, and I remembered everything as if it were yesterday. So this is back in the days when Kick, Skype, IMVU, and an unworldly assortment of social websites were popular. I wasn't a very popular girl at school. I was shy, insecure, and it always felt like I didn't belong. So I did what any preteen girl in my shoes would do and found myself a persona online to venture into the social world without the pressures of reality. I remember loving the attention I got. Not once did I question the fact that the majority of it was from older men that had no business giving somebody my age attention. I figured it was true. I was mature for my age, as everybody had always said it. What I also didn't realize those days is my wisdom came from many years of trauma. I mean, there was a small part of me that knew they were completely in the wrong, which is why, thankfully, I was never the type to meet with somebody I met online. I remember my mom warning me that one day, if I wasn't careful that I could put myself in potential danger. I also remember being the one to laugh it off and say, oh, it's just the internet. I know what I'm doing. Honestly, looking back, there are quite a few creeps that were over the age of 40 that made bad intentions extremely clear. But there was a block button, so I had no reason to worry, right? Wrong. 
Now, this particular story happened when I was about 15 or 16. The whole year is kind of blurry to me. My sister had gone to prison and I was in a world of hurt, believing that somehow it was my fault, even though she was halfway across the world. Her ex-boyfriend and I became close friends, bonding over missing her and reminiscing memories we'd made with her. Me when she and I were younger, him when she was older, the parts each of us missed. He becomes important later. I met this boy on one of the many sites I visited, and we had exchanged kicks and started talking. I'll call him Tristan. Now, Tristan was a wonderful guy. He was gorgeous, with mesmerizing blue eyes, and when we began talking on the phone, his voice made my heart melt. The thing about Tristan is he had schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, and anger issues. His words, not mine. I didn't take him too seriously, and I figured everybody has something. He told me he was 19, which now when I think about it is kind of odd as when I turned 19, I only socialized with people 18 or older. And even then, dating somebody younger than me has always been a no-go. But it wasn't that large of a gap to me then. So, when he and I were talking sometimes, his other personalities would come out. I could immediately tell because spelling would change or mannerisms in general. He had one personality in particular that scared me, but I never let it on. That personality would fantasize about torture. He'd write me paragraphs about vile things he would do, going into depth about locking me down and skinning me, feeding me my own flesh, or other such things. That side of him began coming out more often, and I began to distance. Sometimes I'd go hours or days without responding to him, unsure of what to do, as this part of him seemed completely unhinged. I wasn't quite sure what to do as I thought, for a while at least, that I loved the rest of him, so what if I have to deal with this one part? Unfortunately, before I began ghosting him, so to speak, I sent him a not-so-PG picture of me. And unfortunately, I didn't follow my one rule for ever sending those kinds of photos. Never show your face or identifying features. A rule I'd set for this very reason. After a bout where I didn't respond for practically a week, absolutely depressed and shut down, as he'd started sending me abusive messages about what he'd do if I didn't respond, he sent me that photo. And he told me if I didn't respond, he'd post it for the whole world to see. I flipped. I told him that was wrong, as I'd trusted him enough to send that kind of stuff to, and that if he posted it, then he'd just get put in jail for child pornography, as I wasn't over the age of 18. I explained that I didn't want to speak to somebody who was going to threaten me, but behind all that anger was fear. He had me. I didn't want my family to know I sent those kinds of pictures. I didn't want what little life I did have to crumble in around me as everybody cast judgment. I was already an outcast unable to fit in. What would this do to the few friendships I did have? I bluffed. I told him I was going to report him to his state's police. But honestly, I didn't know what to do. So I stopped talking to him again. I decided to cast my fear aside and call his bluff. I thought about it logically. Those were the days where everybody was cracking down on cyberbullying and child pornography and the internet in general. So chances were he wouldn't, and if he did, the embarrassment would be nothing compared to the trouble he'd get into. So I decided to block him and call his bluff. 
Then he made a new account. He messaged me again, bombarding my inbox with photos he had of other girls, telling me that if he'd be willing to share those, then why wouldn't he share mine? I pretended I couldn't care less. I responded telling him if he shared my photos, then that shows more about him than me. That he manipulated me into trusting him just to turn around and use it against me. He called me on Skype, crying, and telling me he was so sorry, and that he just needed me back. But I refused. I've seen abuse, and I knew that if I were to continue, meet him, marry him, move on with him, any future with him would end in my demise. That's when he did the one thing that proved to me I may be in certain danger. He sent me my address. I'd never given it to him. He tried consistently to get it from me, telling me he just wanted to send me gifts or he wanted to see how far away I was. He gave me his address, so it'd only be fair. But that was one thing I was not giving to him until I knew we were going to meet. But there it was, on my screen, coming from him. The man that had given me vivid details about skinning me alive. I was too stunned to move, too stunned to speak. Anxiety riddled me and I didn't know what to do. If I go to the cops, will they do anything? Could they do anything? Then another notification from him. A picture of my house. I never ran to the top of the stairs so fast, staring out the window for some sort of a sign. A car, a van, him just standing there waving at me. Something. But nobody was there. I studied the photo, looking for watermarks showing it was just on Google Maps, checking for a date and time. But it only showed when it was sent. I looked for any clue as to what time of day, anything. I was panicking and completely unsure of what to do. The police couldn't do anything with him knowing my address. I knew that, especially if I had no proof he was physically here. Then Skype was ringing. He was calling. I turned my camera and set my phone down so all he'd see was darkness and answered, looking at his surroundings carefully, and he was still at home. I breathed a sigh of relief, then let out a very frustrated... What do you want? Just leave me alone. To which he responded he'd never leave me alone. I got chills. I felt like I was going to puke. Now remember my sister's ex? Well, I recalled suddenly that my sister had told me he was the one who had taught her simple level hacks. And he just so happened to pop up on my notifications as I was extremely frustrated with my should-be ex who was attempting to blackmail me. A light bulb went off and I decided to take a moment. I'd ask Tristan if I could call him back, as I had something I had to do. He was angry, beginning his threats, but I promised I'd be back, I just needed a moment. I asked my sister's ex if he had Skype, and he told me he did, so I requested a quick call. He was confused and slightly concerned, as I told him it was urgent. He picked up on the first ring, and I immediately unloaded. I explained the threats and how I knew he taught my sister simple hacking tricks, and I wanted to know how extensive his knowledge was, and if there was maybe something he could do to solve my issue, as I didn't know if the police would be able to intervene. He agreed, and explained he had something in mind. He just needed to wire through me. He explained he had a link that I needed to convince Tristan to open. Then I needed to somehow keep Tristan busy while he overloaded the system to get into his phone and factory reset the thing. I asked if we could get in trouble, and he explained it was a possibility, but it was something he was willing to do not just for me, but for the other girls who had their pictures saved on this psychopath's phone. 
So I called Tristan. I sent him the link, and when he asked what it was, I told him it was a photo that made me think of him. He clicked the link, then told me there was just a blank page. I told him it was odd as there should be a photo and maybe it just needed to load. It was a kind of double whammy at that point because then he decided to try and open it on his computer and come to find out he had tons of stuff on the computer as well. He said it was still not loading, so I told him give it time. Then I apologized for being so mean and told him I loved him and whatever it took to keep him preoccupied as long as possible. Then the call ended abruptly, so I called my sister's ex-boyfriend, who assured me it was taken care of. An hour or so later, I'd gotten an angry message from Tristan asking me what I did to his stuff. I told him I didn't know what he was talking about and blocked him. He never tried to contact me again. Tristan, I sincerely hope you got the help that you needed, that you learned from that moment that what you were doing was wrong. I hope you didn't manipulate other girls and attempt to blackmail them, and most importantly, I hope we never meet again. And to any people who are like I was, wanting attention and believing that the internet isn't so bad, that you know what you're doing, trust me, you don't know the half of it. Please be careful. Don't make the mistakes I've made. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. And a huge thank you to all of our newest supporters. Francisca Hebert, Louis Blake, Tracy Voran, Gabrielle Macias, Jeanette, Melanie Romo, John Eckhoff, Renee Schmidt, Brittany Christ, Tay, Sergio Ruiz, Jordan Z, Steam-Powered Mechanic, Chris Fresnares, Anthony Santa, Shauna Jones, and Blazin' T-Dragon. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudioAndCo.ag Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.